0: Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway in Portland, Maine. We'd love to have you join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., currently on Zoom and broadcast live on Facebook. Visit our website at hopegateway.com to learn more. Whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. Good morning! I'm Ophelia Hukini, she, her pronouns, Um, and this is the third week of our Composting Christianity series. As Sarah said earlier, it's a series where we get to trade in a version of Christianity that doesn't work, so maybe we were taught it or it was handed down to us, and then we exchange that for a gospel that gives life. Last week, if you were here, we got to worship around the table or in a Zoom small group, and we got to discuss the kingdom of God here and now, rather than like some abstraction in the sky for later. And then the week before that, Sarah preached about how Jesus prioritized the seemingly least valuable people in his society, including children. In a time and place where children were viewed as property, and not even very valuable property for that matter, that was totally countercultural. So, as Sarah already alluded, today I'm gonna talk about the God who opens the gates. So, I'm composting the idea of a God who's a gatekeeper, and I'd like to bring out of the compost this rich and life giving notion of a God who not only has the keys to those gates but who takes those gates off the hinges altogether. What I mean, to be clear, is that I'm discarding the idea that God's love is only for some of us. And what I'm resurrecting from the compost pile is the fundamental truth that God's love is for everyone. Honestly, a pretty fundamental, easy message. A gatekeeper is someone who controls access, like David was pretending to earlier. They decide who gets to be in and who has to stay out. And too often, Christianity gets billed as a religious system where some people are in and some people are out. And between book bans and protests at funerals and punitive legislation and bumper stickers about who all is going to hell, Christianity can sometimes seem like a very exclusive club and not even a very fun one at that. But time and again, Jesus showed that he had a very different mission. I want to share a snippet of his early ministry to illustrate that goal. So this is from the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke um, in the fifth chapter, verses two through 11. And um, I'm going to be, um saying this from the common english bible version Jesus saw two boats sitting by the lake the fishermen had gone ashore and were washing their nets Jesus boarded one of the boats the one that belonged to Simon then asked him to row out a little distance from the shore Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat and when he finished speaking to the crowds he said to Simon row out farther into the deep water and drop your nets for a catch Simon replied, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but because you say so, I'll drop the nets. So they dropped the nets, and their catch was so huge that their nets were splitting. They signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They filled both boats so full that they were about to sink. When Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Leave me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. Peter and those with him were overcome with amazement because of the number of fish they caught. James and John, Zebedee's sons, were Simon's partners, and they were amazed too. Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. As soon as they brought the boats to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. So Jesus was more of a recruiter constantly challenging the religious status quo of who's in and who's out during his lifetime for example he told a parable about a samaritan man acting way more holy than his chosen people counterparts he included women and people of diverse backgrounds in his closest circle of co-conspirators he um, dined at the home of a much detested tax collector as we recently heard He let himself be schooled by a Syrophoenician woman who said that like dogs at their master's table, Gentiles should have access to God just like the Israelites did. He brought people into healing and then sewed them back together into their communities. Even the Temple of Jerusalem, the center of religious and social life was kind of inaccessible to some people depending on their background and education or their demographics. And when Jesus told the Jewish authorities that he intended to rebuild the destroyed temple in only three days, he threatened an order that worked to gatekeep access to the divine. He had a different idea altogether about who gets access to God's love and recognition. And to be clear, this was not anything about how the Jewish religion uh, functioned as much as just how much people had built up barriers over time that had nothing to do with what God was saying. You may have noticed that here at Hope Gateway, we do communion a little differently from a lot of United Methodist or other mainline churches. Oftentimes here, communion is presided over by someone who isn't ordained, otherwise known as layperson. And in a lot of Christian traditions, the person who presides over communion needs to be ordained in that tradition or else the church would get in a little bit of trouble. But in the last few years, we've been asking ourselves, Why we do what we do during worship. And communion is one of those things we really wanted to examine. What makes a person qualified to invoke this holy and common ritual? Who knows what really goes on in this world of spirit and matter when we partake in this meal together? The Franciscan priest and public theologian, Father Richard Rohr, says this about communion. And it's a kind of a long quote, but I was like, oh, I just, I don't want to leave any of it out. Okay, I did leave some of it out, but here are, here are the good bits. When Jesus spoke the words, this is my body, I believe he was speaking not just about the bread right in front of him, but about the whole universe, about everything that is physical, material, and yet also spirit-filled. Seeing the Eucharist, which is another word for this meal as a miracle is not really the message at all. I can see why we celebrate it so often. This message is shut is such a shock to the psyche, such a challenge to our pride and individualism that it takes a lifetime of practice and much vulnerability for it to sink in as the pattern of every and not just this thing. The bread and wine, are largely understood as an exclusive presence, when in fact, their full function is to communicate a truly inclusive and always shocking presence. The Eucharist is an encounter of the heart where we recognize presence, and he says presence with a capital P, through our own offered presence. In the Eucharist, we move beyond mere words or rational thought. And go to that place where we don't talk about the mystery anymore, we begin to chew on it. Jesus did not say, think about this, or stare at this, or even worship this. He said instead, eat this. Does an adult or an ordained person really understand better than a child what it means when we consume the body and blood of Christ? I'd argue, maybe not, judging by those early pandemic days when kids would sometimes bring onto screen a giant slice of chocolate cake, or sometimes here at church in 509, wait eagerly to become one of the people who gets to serve the elements. Does a clergy person know more than a lay person about the kind of love Jesus had for his friends when he said, this is my body"? In some Christian traditions, men are welcome to preside over this table, but not women. And yet, Jesus was first revealed after his resurrection to his dear friend and disciple, Mary Magdalene, who was a woman. In many Christian traditions, cisgender, heterosexual people are welcome to preside over this table, but not queer or trans people. And yet, there's nothing documented that Jesus said about LGBTQ people, even while they're plentiful in the Bible. And so I hope when we receive the elements here at Hope Gateway, it can be a regular reminder that God is not a gatekeeper. Sarah spoke two weeks ago about how Jesus prioritized children in the kingdom of God. And I think today, like in our contemporary time, we tend to think, oh, how cute a time for our kids to be commemorated and to sit up on the, you know, cosmic lap of Jesus. But I'll repeat that in Jesus's context, that meant Centering those who had no economic value, no power at all. At Hope Gateway, children and lay people often co-create this table, not because our kids are really cute, although they are, but because they are eager to be recruited into our community and into this ritual. God does not make requirements for participation in God's family. Rather, God tears down the gates that we've made. We're not separated by belief or tradition or creed. We don't gain access by knowing some kind of secret password of faith. Instead, God's love precedes our beliefs and goes before our actions. God's love goes before us, our very lives. You're right. God first loved us. That is so true. Thank you for saying that, Becky. And we are invited to participate in God's mission of love expanding. Last week, we talked at tables about what the kingdom of God is like. With kingdom being kingdom, being different from kingdom, because it's about kinship and community rather than dominion. At my table over in that corner, we talked about how in the kingdom of God, There's dissent, but then there's also respect. And the kingdom of God is here when we include and affirm people of all backgrounds and perspectives, when we don't create a false peace, when we build unity without demanding uniformity. And the kingdom of God is where we provide for each other. And as Alan had said last week, and these words have really stuck with me all week. The kingdom of God is where no one is disposable. Being a gatekeeper is a really easy way to exercise control. A God who gatekeeps is a God who decides what the kingdom of God can be like, who's in, who's out. It's really easy to work together with people who think just like you. And it's so uncomplicated um, to feel the way that you feel when you're among people who are just like you. But a God who recruits is a God who relinquishes Some control to us. And as anyone knows who's worked with a team before or who's loved small children, relinquishing control is scary because the outcome is then ours to co-create, in this case, to co-create with God. But the payoff is tremendous because by recruiting us, instead of gatekeeping us, God recovers us from isolation. The ministry of Jesus is like a heist. In his work of healing and listening and communing and revolutionizing, he rescues us from separation. He steals us from despair. He underscores that none of us are disposable. So what do we do as co-conspirators in this heist? What are we willing to throw overboard? Which tenets of order or exclusion that we've grown up with or that have become cemented In our hearts over time are we willing to cast away? What ensnaring nets are we willing to cast aside to join Jesus in that work of healing and listening and communing and revolutionizing? Are we willing to throw overboard our biases about who God loves more or less? Are we willing to throw overboard the beliefs that have gotten us this far but that don't serve us anymore? Don't be afraid. Jesus assures us. Ours is not a gatekeeper God, but a recruiter God. A recruiter for the mission of love and reconciliation. From now on, we will be fishing for people. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. To hear more about Hope Gateway and to discover how together we can do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God visit our website at hopegateway.com.